You sit back and watch for the bullshit because you know what's coming. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. You know what's coming. You know what's, you know what's I've had a lot of things going on, but we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I mean, Jesus, so much uh, to talk about. First of all, like uh, some of the more obscure news, which is which is surprising to me. Um, so. Uh, the, uh, the officer who shot Tamir Rice, um, if you're not familiar with the shooting, uh, this was a few years back, 12 year old boy playing with a BB gun in the park. Somebody calls the police on him. Officers pulled up within five seconds, shot the boy dead. Uh, uh, that officer, uh, uh, Timothy Lowman was his name. Uh, he just recently got another job as a police officer in a small village um, south of Ohio where he shot Tamir Rice. Uh, a lot of people have a problem with that, uh, as do I. Um, he was never charged in the shooting of Tamir Rice. Uh, he was later fired, uh, not because he shot the little boy, but because it was found after investigation that he'd previously been found unfit for duty, but for some reason uh, they let him continue to be a police officer. Uh, you know. Now, oftentimes, you know, you don't see uh, you don't see uh, justice in situations like this, and it's uh it's something that's very, very uh, frustrating for uh, for a lot of black folks, uh, myself included. Uh, but then, every now and then, you get a little ray of hope, maybe. Um, so th this is the thing. This is a case I've been following very closely in Chicago. This guy, uh, Officer Jason uh, Van Dyke was found guilty today of second-degree murder in the shooting of Laquan McDonald. Laquan McDonald, uh, you know, he was uh, walking down the street. He had a knife in his hand. Um, and uh, the police were called for some reason. I don't, I don't know the details of that because... Uh, all the information right now so surrounding the trial itself, you know, is after the fact. So, so basically, you know, this guy is not surrounded by police, but there are 
at least three police cars there in the video that I saw. And, 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 uh, so, okay, let me, let me back up. This guy was, sh this guy, Jason Van Dyke shot this guy 16 times in the back. Okay. Um, it sparked a lot of public outrage. Um, the police officer claimed that, that, uh, that Laquan was running at him with a knife, was char was charging him with a knife. Um, and so he had no choice but to defend. I mean, we know what the police officer said because this is what every police officer says every time they shoot a, a young black man, either that they were afraid for their lives. They thought he had a weapon. He was charging them. So, et cetera, et cetera. So of course the black public is suspicious and the police won't release the dash cam footage and this, all of these other things. Um, and so after a lot of public pressure, uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel refused to release this footage, um, uh, at first. And then this, and then, uh, they, they were forced to charge, to charge him with second degree murder. Now keep in mind, Chicago is one of the most corrupt police, uh, uh, forces in the country. More corrupt than Los Angeles. And Jason Van Dyke is the first police officer to be charged with murder since 1980, since before I was born. He's the first police officer to be charged with murder since 1980. And, you know, not convicted, charged. If you, if you, <laughs> I mean, think about that shit for a second. You know, even even if you're a police supporter, you have to admit, I mean, unless you're just living in some delusional bubble world, you got to admit that there are some corrupt cops out there. And in one of the most corrupt cities in America, you know there's some corrupt cops out there. You, It has to shock you a little bit that he's the first cop in 38 years to be charged with murder. In that whole city of Chicago, um, but he is. He was charged with with murder, and then that, and then the judge forced the city to release the, uh, the dash cam footage, which, uh, to me, very handily uh, countered Officer Van Dyke's recollection of events. Uh, I mean, obviously. How do you shoot someone in the back 16 times that's charging at you? I mean, you know, I mean, just, just think about that for a second. I mean, we, even without seeing the video, that shit don't add up. Uh, and, and I, and I, and I, I, I watched, uh, most of the trial. Um, it, it's, a, it's a difficult trial to watch. Um, um, but ultimately, his undoing, because if you listen to the jurors be interviewed on NPR, um, ultimately his undoing was a testimony of his partner. Uh, and his partner says that as they were pulling up to the scene, he was like, man, we're going to have to shoot this guy. Now, th that fucked him up in the, in, the, in the minds of the jurors because basically what that told them was, before he even arrived on the scene, because again, 
Uh, so if you if you if you watch the footage before he arrived on the scene, there were already other police officers there surrounding him, and he did have a knife. Okay, then I, no, I'm not. I, I'm going to put all the facts up there. He did have a knife. He, however, he was not charging at the police officers. He was actually uh, walking away from them. And then Officer Van Dyke pulls up, you know, because whenever the whenever police pull up on anybody, you know, every policeman within, you know, so many blocks is going to come too, you know, and that's, that's what was happening. They were the last ones there. He pulled up, hopped out, started shooting. None of the police officers were shooting, you know, none of the police officers were in danger. So, you know, that, so that line he said to his partner on their way to the scene, told the jury that he didn't shoot because he felt in danger because he'd already decided he was going to shoot the guy before they got there. That, that's how the jury interpreted uh, his remarks. Um, and yeah. And he lost, he lost today and that, and, and I'm so, um, you know, and the jury says, Race didn't play a factor in their deliberations in this racially charged case. Now, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for one second. I mean, I mean, Chicago is known, uh, uh, you know, Chicago is very racially charged. Uh, Chicago is, is, I mean, I don't understand how people, how people play that. Oh, race didn't play a factor. Race is a factor in everything. Damn near. But, you know, whatever. I guess people want to do their best to to appear impartial. So I get it. You know, maybe you, you say those things because you, you know, but, but it, it's impossible to 100% remove bias from anything. So, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. But, um... You know, but she, this, this particular juror says, we didn't come here, uh, because of race. We came here for right and wrong. Of course, the police, the, the police union vows to appeal the case because, you know, they're not satisfied with a 99.9999999% um, win, win rate. <laughs> You know, I, I, I would love to interview one of these police union guys and, and, cause I would love to know, or just any, any guys that, that, the, that defend shit like this. What would it take for you to say, yeah, that motherfucker needs to go to jail? You know, like the, like the, the, say there, the, there's another situation. Police officer shoots an unarmed black person. What would the story have to be? Like, what is your minimum set of circumstances for you to be like, yeah, that cop's guilty for sure. I mean, would, would he straight up have to, cause, cause I would like to know, I would like to know how ridiculous it would have to be for you to, uh, for you to side with the victim over the police officer. Um, please shoot me an email. Give me a scenario. Use your imagination. Uh, that's BS with Brian Simpson at gmail.com if you want to respond to that. 
But yeah, he's he's convicted. What is his sentence here? His sentence is blue, 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 blue. Well, he faces up to between four and twenty years in prison for the murder charge, and from six to thirty years in prison. Okay, hold on. He faces four to four between four and twenty years in prison, and is eligible for probation for the second degree murder conviction. The aggravated battery with a firearm conviction carries a sentence of six to thirty years with no probation. I mean, aggravated battery with a firearm carries more time than murder. Okay, okay. I'm I'm have to, I'm have to look that up because that doesn't make sense. But okay. Uh, maybe, maybe I just don't understand what, maybe that's just legal speak, aggravated battery, maybe, uh, whatever. All right. Now, this, this police union guy says, we quote, we don't believe, his name's Kevin Graham. He's the president of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. He says, we don't believe the evidence supported the conviction. The Chicago Police Department is standing with an officer we think acted as an officer. And what does that mean? What does that mean, acted as an officer? When there, when there, when there are nine other officers, including your partner, there, not shooting a motherfucker, and you shoot a motherfucker, you're acting as an officer. Well, what are they doing? Are they not acting as officers? I mean, because that's what it is. It's like when when life or death is at your discretion, your judgment has to be spot the fuck on, man. Now I don't know Van Dyke. I mean, <laughs> you know, if I if I'm profiling him, he doesn't look like a trustworthy person to me. If I'm profiling him, luckily I'm you know I'm not on the jury. And just going by the, but he doesn't look like a nice person. He doesn't sound like a nice person either. You know, and he doesn't sound remorseful either to me. Um, you know, so I don't think he has that going for him. But 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 again, they always say that oh, he was just acting like a, like any officer would. Okay, well, what about the other nine officers that were there that weren't acting like him? I don't get that. You know, and, and and again, don't misunderstand what I mean when I call this racism. Again, do I believe that Jason Van Dyke left the house that day like, I'm going to kill me a nigga today? No, I don't think that. I give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't, I don't think that, but that's not what racism is. I mean, that would be racism, but, but the systemic racism is his view of a black person as a threat is in, it's in his view of anyone as a threat. It's increased when they are a black person. You know, that's the racism. Again, I point to his partner 
and all the other officers that were on the scene weren't shooting at this man that had a knife that was walking away from them. I have no idea what was going through his head. Maybe he is a racist or maybe he just fucked up real bad. But you got to pay the consequences for that. I don't know what I don't know what kind of people are at the fraternal order of police, but it, it's weird to me that um, policemen are held to a higher standard in every regard un until they murder someone. And then, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're allowed to go, oops. Oops, I made a mistake. But you ever notice how they always oops and make a mistake and as a young black man? It's never a rich white man. It's never like an old white lady. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's never like some young promising white kid. Ever. It's never a rich kid. It's never a senator. or It's never anyone that society gives a fuck about. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like they, never, they never accidentally get nervous and shoot. You know, a preacher or like it's, it's never someone that society would, would wholesale be uh, sympathetic for. It's always someone they can paint as crazy or as a thug or a, just a loser. I don't know. Makes me uncomfortable, if I can tell you that. <clears throat> Moving on. What else is going on this week? Um. Oh, well, the, I guess this has been the culmination of the Brett Kavanaugh hearing. And look... A lot of people have some real strong feelings about this. Um, it boils down to um, you know, I guess it all depends on your perspective and how you frame it. Um, a lot of people don't want that man to be on the Supreme Court. Some people it's because they, uh, they think he's a rapist. Uh, some people's because they think he, uh, he just has horrible policies in and of themselves, rapist or not. Some people believe that he is going to be the, uh, um, instrumental in dismantling Roe v. Wade. The fact that he's going to end up on the Supreme Court is, uh, it's disconcerting for, for a lot of people. Um, uh, but for some people, this whole Brett Kavanaugh thing isn't even about in it. In the case you've been living under a rock, cause I don't even, I'm not even into politics. I, I used to be a very, uh, very, very into it. And, and it, it got, it, it, it started to become too much for me. Um, it started, it started to become too much for me. It's, it started to become very dogmatic and, um, <clears throat> 
and and I, and I can't do it now. I mean, I I still dabble because I like to know what's going on. So I just I, um, I let my friends that are really into it just kind of give me the summaries and and whatnot. So I try to stay out of it. But even but this is one of those things where it's so uh it's happening so everywhere that you can't you can't avoid it if you're if you're at all on social media if you're watching television at all i mean it's going to pop up no matter what channel you on no matter what your news sources are you're going to hear about the Kavanaugh hearing and if you haven't uh basically the the gist of it is uh uh before Obama got out of office, he had the opportunity to put somebody on the Supreme Court. Uh, Republicans did use every little trick in the book to like stop that from happening. And then, uh, and then Trump got in office and got to nominate one that same person that, um, you know, that same seat that Obama was going to fill. And then unexpectedly, uh, another liberal justice, I think he fell ill or he retired or maybe he was blackmailed. Who the fuck knows? But he all of a sudden decided he was done. And so now Republicans get, you know, Donald Trump gets to dominate a second Supreme Court justice. And keep in mind, like some, I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm correct in saying that most presidents don't get to nominate any Supreme Court justices. Um, but almost never do they get to nominate two. You know, at the most, it's one. I think maybe, uh, I don't think Ronald Reagan got one. I don't think Jimmy Carter got one. I mean, I was, <laughs> I wasn't allowed for Jimmy Carter being president, but, um, I don't think George Bush Sr. got a, got to nominate any Supreme Court justices. I think George Bush got one. I think Clinton got one. And Obama got one. And his second one kind of got taken. He was going to have two. So, yeah, because cause it's a lifetime appointment. So one of them got to die. They One of them got to die or their health has to get so bad they resign. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, Brett Kavanaugh was the nominee. Um, he's ultra conservative, uh, almost guaranteed, uh, to vote against Roe v. Wade. And, and, bef uh, before his comp, his, uh, hearing, he was, uh, he was accused of attempted rape by, uh, by, uh, Doctor, I forget her name. He was accused of attempted rape by a woman that he went to school with. I think her name was Doctor Rowe. Oh no, not not Doctor Rowe. Uh, Doctor Bowles. Oh man, Brian, you're so bad at this. Hold on, Doctor Ford, Doctor Blazy Ford. That's what it was. Damn, I could why could I not remember that? Okay, and so he was accused by Doctor Blazy Ford, and. Um, and, and then it, and, 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 and this, this, this is happening all in the midst of the Me Too movement and the perceived empowerment of women. Um, and I say perceived just because I don't think it's really working, which is why I hate, I hate movements that are on social media 
I think social media has has weakened the left in the, in the sense that, and, and and this is a perfect example because I think social media can you, it's possible to get into an echo chamber that is so loud and deafening. And by echo chamber, I mean a group of people that just repeat back to you. You, 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 you can, you can build these large groups of people that disagree with you. Cause I see it every day. I see friends that go, if you think this, then just unfriend me. If you think that, then just unfriend me. And what ends up happening is you just have thousands of friends that think exactly like you and it can fool you into thinking that your movement or your position is more popular or more powerful than it really is. And that, and that's, I think that's what's happened to the left. I think that's what's happened with me too. It's easy to have a hundred thousand, you know, retweets and feel like that's everybody, you know? And so, and, 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 and by extension, I think a lot, I think the left has grown. The left has put itself in a position where a lot, A lot of the people on the left believe that we will win because we are correct. Or that even if we lose, that we'll be, we'll at least be on the right side of history. And the truth of the matter is the winners get the right to history. You know? That's the truth of the matter is like, you got to have people willing to play dirty in politics. It ain't no such thing as there's no righteous winners. It ain't never been in the history of mankind. The righteous don't win power. I, so I, you know, and I, and I, and I'm not saying I know the solution to that, but I, but I, you know, but I think social, social media is an empty cause tweeting a thing and sharing the thing yeah it makes you feel good and it may and it makes you look good to people that care but it's it's not action and, and i've said this i've said this a hundred times before it doesn't count as you've done something to me um but it's great for information it's great for keeping in touch with people but it's not a replacement um for literal action you know, it's like writing, um, you know, it can spark a movement, but it's not a movement in and of itself. Uh, but back to the point is uh, this Kavanaugh thing, it, it, it really, really brought a lot of strong feelings out about people because people on the right feel like, oh, this is a liberal conspiracy. What a coincidence. They went. You know, some woman accuses Brett Kavanaugh of rape right when he's about to uh, be nominated to go to the Supreme Court, or right after he's nominated to go to be uh, be the next Supreme Court justice. This is just something the liberals are doing because they want to stop that from happening. And people on the left are like, uh, believe women, you know. Who who would do this just for political gains and so on and so forth. Um, and 
I guess I'm speaking about this as a man. Uh, but at first I did, I did see how some people were like, I mean, we don't know her. We don't know him. It happened 30 years ago. There's no evidence of any of it happening. No, no one else remembers this party that they say they were at and all these other things. The real, the, all we really have against him is her testimony. His rebuttal to that was very fucking bizarre and weird and off-putting. Um, and he kept saying over and over, you know, maybe something did happen to her, but it wasn't me. Maybe her memory is bad, confused, whatever. And that's, that started to whisper to me a little bit. But again, you got to check your biases, man. You got to check your biases because I've all, I've always been one of those people that's like when I heard when I hear someone say women don't lie about uh rape. My immediate my initial reaction to that is, well what about all the sneaky lying bitches that I've known? Right? But you can't do that because because you your initial uh, you you can't frame other people's trauma in a way that makes it about you. You know what I mean? And you know I've 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 I've, I've been chewing on this for a long time, and then and then someone. Someone sent me this, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's like a string of, <laughs> it's a string of tweets. Um, that, uh, it's a great article. It's on, this is, okay, wow, this is why, I, I, this is what I love social media for, for the information. This is on a Tumblr called Oodle. Oodle Noodle Roodle. Oodle Noodle Roodle. Tumblr. Um, and it's got all... So everything that I'm about to reference in this, all the links are in this Tumblr. Okay? But it's, a, it's this is a string of tweets from a guy called uh, Jeremy C. Young. And he breaks it down. Okay? Actually, I'm, I'm just going to read it from the beginning. Thanks to the Kavanaugh hearings, I heard from a number of men this week who are terrified that they'll be falsely accused of rape. Good news, men. Kavanaugh hasn't been falsely accused, and you won't be either. Don't believe me? Let's look at the evidence. Okay? How hard is it to get someone to falsely accuse a man of rape? In the last week of the 2016 election, Democratic donors Susie Tompkins-Buell and David Brock decided to find out they offered $700,000 to any woman who would say Donald Trump raped her. Um, the, the article for that is, uh, that's from the New York Times. Okay, So these women had whatever normal incentives women have to lie about rape, plus added fistfuls of cash. The result? It was not productive. One woman requested $2 million and then decided not to come forward, nor did any other woman. This has happened before. During the Clinton impeachment, 
Larry Flint offered $1 million to anyone who said they'd had an affair with a GOP congressman. Only one woman got paid. And the man she accused, Bob Livingston, admitted she was telling the truth. So, again, why don't more women lie about being raped? Because the disbelief and ridicule they receive is so devastating that the lie isn't worth it. Now, I know, I hope that you can tell by my inflection between me reading this and me commentating on it. Um, so I know that that's where a lot of men get stuck right there. Women don't lie about rape because the ridicule they receive isn't worth it. You don't believe that. Okay, so we'll continue. They don't have any motive. They can try to ruin a man, but most of the time it doesn't work and they get ruined instead. True. At the same time, I want to acknowledge that there are false rape accusations. So let's take a look at what those look like. Courtesy of this outstanding article by at Sanu Man. This is, that is from QZ.com. The article's called What Kind of Person Makes False Rape Accusations? But Jeremy C., he summarizes it here. It turns out there have been studies on the types of people who make false rape accusations. And what's amazing is that they all fall into a few consistent categories. Teen girls trying to cover up a pregnancy or a missed curfew. People with extensive criminal convictions for fraud. People, pe people with Munchausen's disorder who fabricate a million health conditions. People seeking revenge usually for petty things like someone stealing their truck. Also, false accusers almost never tell stories that could, by any stretch of the imagination, be seen as an innocent misunderstanding. If Dr. Blasey Ford wanted to lie about Kavanaugh, she's a, she'd accuse him of torturing her in a basement, not of attempted molestation at a party. The takeaway, if a woman without any history of dramatic falsehood says she went home with a man and, after they'd kissed a while consensually, he held her down and forced her into sex, in the absence of compelling evidence to the contrary, you can just assume it's true. When it comes to Kavanaugh, false accusations of this type simply don't happen. Dr. Blasey Ford is telling the truth. So are Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick, who are two other women that accused him of uh, similar things. If you know someone who's faced accusations like these, it's almost certain they actually did what they're accused of. False accusations of rape do happen, but they are rare. Rarer than being struck by lightning in your house. If you're not lying awake at night, I'm sorry, rarer than being struck by lightning. In your house, if you're not lying awake at night worrying that lightning will come through your window and electrocute you, you shouldn't worry about being falsely accused of rape. What we should worry about instead is what happens to women like Dr. Blasey Ford when they tell the truth and are still not believed. What's been said about Dr. Blasey Ford would land most people in therapy for years Meanwhile, Kavanaugh's nomination still marches forward. In summary, you literally can't pay women to falsely report sexual misconduct. But as Donald Trump has repeatedly demonstrated, you can certainly pay them not to report sexual misconduct that actually happened. Wanted to add a few more thoughts here on the main thread. 
Several people have responded with the statistic that between 2%, according to activists, and 10%, according to skeptics, of rape accusations are false. This is true, but there's more to it. First, go back and read that article by uh, Sanuman. Sanuman. S-A-N-N-E-W-M-A-N. <laughs> when false accusations do happen, they follow specific patterns and are, are made by specific types of people. They're not random or hard to predict. Those accusers don't behave like Dr. Blasey Ford. Second, and this is crucial, not a single false accusation mentioned in that article involved more than one accuser. With multiple accusers who are credible and don't know one another, the possibility of a false accusation is exponentially lower. I go so far as to say that if you have two credible accusers who don't know each other, you have removed the possibility of reasonable doubt. Kavanaugh has three credible accusers and two more potentially credible ones. The chance that they are lying is virtually nil. <laughs> the same argument goes for people who say memories are unreliable. Well, sure. People often don't remember the face of a stranger who attacks them. They do remember when it's someone they know. And three women don't misremember being attacked by the same person. Another thing, people ask, why did she wait 40 years to come forward? Uh, at Jen Taub explains in this excellent piece, uh, this next reference is from CNN.com, from Jen Taub. Coming forward is incredibly traumatic, but if he's going to be ruling on the rights of 150 million women, suddenly it becomes more urgent. People say these women want to protect Roe, as in Roe v. Wade. Okay, fine. So does all the women David Brock offered fistfuls of cash to in November 2016. Wanting to protect Roe plus fistfuls of cash wasn't enough to convince them to make false accusations. It's just too traumatic. And again, important to consider motive here. People who make up false accusations always accuse people of sensational crimes. Look at Duke Lacrosse. Gang raped on a bed of broken glass. If Dr. Blasey Ford were motivated by politics, her accusations would be far more extreme. One more, an article from at D. Lind at Vox.com with overwhelming evidence that between 2% and 10% of rape accusations are false. The highest rate in a credible study was 10.3%. If someone quotes you a higher rate than that, they don't know what they're talking about. Also, Jim Hopper or memory takeaway. People forget peripheral details of traumas, but not central details. They might misidentify the face of a stranger rapist, but they don't misremember the identity of their classmate whom they know who attacked them. A couple of corrections pointed out by readers. False accusations do happen, but they're almost always easy to spot and almost never credible. And some of these are still true. Also, I confused some of the details of UVA with Duke Lacrosse. I regret the errors. That's all right, Jeremy. On non-credible witnesses, consider Lisa Pinal, an obviously mentally ill woman found chained in the back of a truck in 1990. The arresting officer believed her anyway and caught Ben Rhodes, the infamous truck stop killer. Always start by believing. You say, Mr. You say maybe Dr. Blasey Ford gets a book deal from this, but sexual assault survivors are 13 times more likely to attempt suicide than the average person, 
and report public victim blaming is one of the main reasons. All that for a book deal, it's not worth it. To those who know men who have been falsely accused, how many people do you know who have been sexually assaulted? Data says it's 27% of all women and 7% of men. The assaults you don't know about are far more common than the false accusations you do. By the way, I've gotten a couple of requests to write up this Twitter thread as an article. While I'm grateful for the offers, it's women scholars, not me, whose work should be foregrounded on this issue. Two smart people to ask instead of me is San Newman and Inbedera. See, I don't know what these, how to pronounce these Twitter handles, but, uh, I guess Inbedera. But I'm gonna, this is, these, uh, this, this article is gonna be linked in the show notes. So if you are savvy on how to listen to podcasts, the show notes will be where show notes are. Um, <clears throat> so someone replied to him and says, a friend of mine is a lawyer and she says the rule of law and presumption of innocence are above all credible allegations. So even if Ms. Ford's accusations are true, the man can't be considered guilty and denied a high position before he's convicted. Could you please comment? And his reply is innocent until proven guilty is a legal standard, not a job interview standard. Ask your friend if she'd expect to get hired by a new firm if stories like this were flying around about her. No one's suggesting Kavanaugh should be in jail without a trial, just not on the court. Um, yeah, so I'm going to put this link in the show notes. You can take that how you want to take it. Um, that was a lot of, there's, there's a lot of good information in there if you, if you choose to, to dive in. But basically, uh, what I take from that is, yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel him, I feel him on that a hundred percent. Like, uh, you know, numbers don't lie. People lie, but number, numbers don't lie. He took every argument people had against this and he gave you what I consider fair down the middle responses. I mean, I mean, what he's saying there is like, yeah, people, people lie about sexual assault. Sure. But that's so rare. And even when it does happen, it's a very recognizable and predictable uh, pattern. It's always the same type of woman making the same type of accusation when, uh, when we deal with false accusations. And then on top of that, um, it's so much, it's so much more unlikely that a woman is lying about sexual assault than, than it is that she was actually sexually assaulted. So, you know, it's, it's like you, because it's weird because this is like, this is the only crime that we do this with where we go, eh, are you sure that's, you know, it's like, I think, I think as a man, you have to look and ask yourself, you have to really, really look in the mirror and ask yourself, why, why am I so afraid of, why am I so afraid of this woman being believed? Cause it literally doesn't affect you. So you, you would have to believe, you would have to, in your mind, be thinking something like, Oh, if it, if it happens to him, then it could happen to me. And it, it probably can't happen to you, man. I, you know, it's, it's, it's so unlikely to happen to you. 
You know, you're more likely to get in a car accident. You're more likely to die in a car accident than to be falsely accused of rape. You know, and but you but you ain't you but you not sitting there stressing about getting in your car and driving to work. You know, and you you actually you know what you more likely to get an STD that you can't get rid of than you are to be falsely accused of rape. And you on a constant hunt for pussy, and you ain't wearing a condom, nigga. Don't lie. You ain't using condoms out there. So, you know when you. Cause I know, I, 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 I feel you on the feeling. It feels like that. Cause that's, 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 that's how we've been conditioned to think. But if you have a scientific mind at all, you know, you, you have to be able to think logically about this. Fuck your feelings. Cause it, there isn't this, the, the, the narrative, um, that, you know, Trevor Noah put it so great. Uh, I seen. I saw a clip of the Daily Show. I, I don't know because I don't watch it. Um, but uh, I do see the clips and stuff pop up online. And so I think he does this thing where he talks to the audience on commercial breaks. Um. And so I saw this. You know, he, he made some good comments about it. Where it's like, um, they're they're trying to make men feel like men are under attack. You ever notice that how how like the, the the people in power always do that? You know what I mean? I mean motherfuckers was doing this way the fuck back. It's a it's an old tactic. When they was trying to get rid of slavery, all the slave owners, what's going to happen to us? We're losing everything. We losing everything. When they try to. <laughs> When they try to give niggas uh, the right to vote. Oh, no. All the people that can vote. What, well, what's going to happen to my vote? Now, my vote ain't worth the same. It's like you... Um, I forget what, who said this. Um, but I heard I heard a modern philosopher say, and, I, and I'm so sorry that I can't remember his name. Um, uh, Cornell West. I heard, I once heard Cornel West say, um, that when, when you, when you, when the scales have been unbalanced for so long, it's impossible to balance them without the people. What it's impossible to balance them without taking something from one side and putting it on the other side, right? And so the people on that side, they feel like they're losing something, which they are, you know, and, and, and that's how they react because they don't see the imbalance. And that's what's happening here is like, as men, like we've been dominant for so long that this feeling of cuz think about think about this think about it like this as a man if we lived in a world where rape was just perfectly fine and okay and acceptable if it was just perfectly fine for for, for you to rape and there was no consequences at all even if it was true even if it was proof 
almost none of you making all this noise would give a fuck. I'm like, none of you would have a problem with that, with that world. You know. And, and, and that's how the world has been for, you know, 90% of like human existence. Where there's almost no consequences for rape unless you like raped someone that was already married. Then you owe her husband, not her. Or her father, not, like she, so it was like it, you know. There's almost been no no consequences for rape for ever. And now we're and now we're switching from that, you know. So we transition to where there's consequences for rape, but almost, but there's almost never um, people almost never pay those consequences. Like the consequences exist. But men in power almost never pay those consequences. And most of the time they don't get reported anyway because there's, you know, there's still consequences for women for reporting it. Okay, fine. Now we are, we are just dipping our toe into the era of you're going to pay for every fucking thing you've done. And as men, we feel like, oh shit. We're under attack, but are we really though? I mean, are you out here raping people? I, I don't, I don't know. Cause you, you have to really, you have to check yourself in that way. It's like, why do you feel so strongly about whether they believe this woman? Why do you care? Why do you give a fuck about Brett Kavanaugh? I don't. Because it's all just entertainment to me. I mean, even let's just say for the sake of argument, she was making this all up. So what? I mean, I don't care that much. <laughs> I don't care that much about Brett Kavanaugh to where I'm like out here caping for him. You already know my policy. I don't cape for rich white dudes. And I don't cape for white women I haven't known for two years minimal. Okay. For me, this is just about women, period. And 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 my reasoning for for going from being kind of on the fence and unsure to, oh yeah, I believe women. You know what I mean? It's scientific. It, you know the science behind it, the numbers behind it, the compassion behind it. It's it's the right thing to do. It, do, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, but I'm, I'm trying to help you explain. I'm just talking to the men here, trying to help you explain uh, or trying to help you work through that feeling of thinking that you've been, because that's not true. Men are not under attack. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, that's what it feels like. It's just, that's what it feels like when the scales are being balanced. Go on and live your life the way you've been living. You know, whatever. But yeah, you, you know, maybe one of these days you will come to some realization and feel like a real piece of shit. Um, now, as to why I have been gone for so long, um, why this is, I think it's been two episodes I haven't put out, but um, one was just a scheduling thing. I I was, uh, I was in San Diego for a week and I just, I do everything at my home computer um, and I haven't worked out a way to do do this on the road yet. I mean, that's that's coming. Um, but then when I got back, my cat, I, my <laughs> I found out my cat has, has her leg was broken in two places, 
and you know, it just cost me a bunch of money just all of a sudden that I did wasn't planning on on having to spend and uh, a bunch of uh, stress and uncertainty and having to stay with her at night to keep her from moving around and moving the brace and all this other shit. And she, you know, it was just a lot of stress. Um, and, you know, and fuck these veterinarian people. I mean, but don't fuck them, no, because they did, I mean, they did try to help her, but damn, they really try to rape you financially. When, when they know you desperate, when they know you, you'll do anything to save. You know. Cause I thought I could just play it cool, you know, and maybe get a discount, but I couldn't, I couldn't hide that I cared. <laughs> so they just, they just give you the straight face like, yeah, yo, that's going to be $5,000. That's going to be $500 million. Or your, or this creature you love is going to die a horrible, slow, painful death. Yeah, and they keep putting that fear in you. I fucking hate it. It was a shitty experience. I'm never doing it again. I'm not. I mean, my cat, my cat is still alive, but I, but I mean, this is my last pet. This is my last anything. I'm not having children. I'm not even going to date. I'm not even going to date anyone that doesn't have insurance. I can't go through this this feeling of not of worrying and not knowing what's wrong and then finding out what's wrong and realizing that there's not a goddamn thing I can do about it. And the only reason that is, is because I don't have enough money. Yeah. Fuck that. That's bullshit. You know, I mean, and I've, I've, I've always felt like this. It's just, the, it's been a long time since it's rang home. That's why I'm, I'm for universal health care. Because, goddamn, if this was my child, I'd have killed the motherfucker in there. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. Because I damn near, I damn near slapped the shit out with the nurse over my cat. So I, I know, I know if it was my child, I'd have hurt somebody. But, I mean, but it's different when it's children. I mean, when it's people, they have to do the help and then they just cripple you with debt. Uh, I mean, you, you certainly aren't getting the best help, but in an emergency like that, where it's like a broken limb, they got to do it. They have to do the surgery or whatever it is. Um, but with a cat, you know, they just do all of this shit and then they go, oh, and yeah, by the way, that'll be $700. Wait a minute. You just told me what was wrong. Yeah, that's $700. Diagnosis, x-rays, that's, uh, fuck. $700? To take an x-ray? That's bullshit. I bet you I could get an x-ray attachment for my fucking uh, smartphone. I bet you I could do that. I could have done that shit on my own somehow. I don't know. $700? And then, a, and then an analysis, you, you got to pay for that too. You got to pay for somebody to analyze the x-ray. Like I can't look at that motherfucker and see a broken bone. What school is that? Who went to school for that? You don't need a magnifying glass or nothing, bitch. I, I could show this picture, I could show this picture to a blind, no, not a blind man, you know what I'm saying. 
But I could, I could show this picture to anyone with a brain and they would be like, oh yeah, that bone's broken. It was that clear cut. I gotta pay a motherfucker to look at a picture for me. Ugh. Anyway, I'm, I'm not gonna complain about it on, on the podcast because, um, I'm still dealing with it and I'm a firm believer in, in that the joke, the funny, the, <laughs> The entertainment value of, of the best shit comes when you've got, when you've made it through stuff, not while you're in it. You know, I, I'm a rant on, I'm a rant on stage about it, but, um, but in terms of like putting something out there that's permanent, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good to do that in the heat of the moment or, or until I'm, until I fully work through the emotions of the moment, because man, I'm feeling so many things about it, and my my baby's over there in pain, and I can't stop it. Well, I do have pain. She has painkillers. It ain't like she over there suffering, but still, I'm just it pisses me off that it's like those are the options. It's like surgery or nothing. Actually, they gave her a splint, but she. She won't keep it on. It's, she's taking it off twice, and I just—it's not gonna help. <sighs> our our Black History uh, moment. Um, uh, this is about uh, you know because some people say you know Brian, uh, uh, you know. Why, why, why is all of, why do you only do black history? Why don't you just do like all history? Cause, cause this is my fucking podcast and I do what I want. Um, and, and here's the deal too. It's not just black people involved in black history. Um, uh, you know, I meet a lot of fake woke motherfuckers nowadays, um, black and white. And here's the deal. Like I told you, social media ain't real. I don't believe you because, and this is why, because who you are, who you, what, what you do on social media is who you want me to see you as. Not necessarily who you are. So I got to see some action with that. So if you want, if you want these white folks out here, and you claiming to be woke, I'm measuring you on a scale of one to John Brown. Okay, John Brown who is who we're talking about this week. Um, John Brown is a white man. He, he is most famous for his raid on Harper's Ferry Armory. Okay, he was, he was an abolitionist, but he was... He was all about uh he he was all about that he was that about that any means necessary life. He was all about abolishing slavery. Um he started out no he's born he's born in uh, Connecticut. And he moved all around uh, all around the place um um but his family kind of finally settled down in Ohio and he came from a family of 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 tanners, these people that make uh, leather goods and 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 that sort of thing, and he uh, you know and he moved all around the place doing all of that. 
um, you know, ended up in a lot of debt because of the financial crisis of, of 1839, the economic crisis um, of 1839. And, you know, and just like a lot of people, he got fucked out of a lot of money because, you know, they were so heavily dependent on debt and all those things. And uh, he just kind of fell behind. He ended up moving to uh, to Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay, and uh, and and there he joined uh, he joined a church that was basically the center of uh, the abolitionist movement. That's where he met people like Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth. Yeah, he was around during that time. He met people that I've talked. I've I've done an episode on all these people except Frederick Douglass. He also met, you know, Harry Tubman later when he decided to do the raid on Harper's Ferry. Um, but he became friends with Douglass and Truth. And and Douglass was, see, Douglass was, was all about the, the peaceful means of shit. And he learned very quickly that John Brown, like I told you, was about that in the means necessary life. And this is a quote from Frederick Douglass. From this night spent with John Brown in Springfield, Massachusetts, 1847, while I continued to write and speak against slavery, I became all the same less hopeful for its peaceful abolition. My utterances became more and more tinged by the color of this man's strong impressions. During Brown's time in Springfield, he became deeply involved in transforming the city into a major center of abolitionism and one of the safest and most significant stops on the Underground Railroad. Okay? So, Brown, you know, later on had a plan to to slowly, one by one, free slaves in Maryland, Virginia, until he until it crippled the economy of those states and spread throughout the South. That was his whole plan: is he was going to by force free slaves, farm by farm by farm, until it reached a a, a point where the economy of those states collapsed, and it, and, it, and and there would be so many free slaves. That it was spread from state to state to state. That's what he, that's what he thought was going to happen. Um, and he was going to start. I mean, he had a bunch of successful raids, but the big one, the big one was supposed to be the raid on on Harper's Ferry Armory, and uh, and that's when he met up with Harriet Tubman. He called her General Tubman. Um. Her knowledge of support networks and resources in the border states of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Delaware was invaluable to Brown and his planners. Some abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison opposed his tactics, but Brown dreamed of fighting to create a new state for freed slaves and made preparations for military action. After he began the first battle, he believed slaves would rise up and carry out a rebellion across the South. So, you know, he gathered up his men. Um, they attacked Harper's Ferry Armory, like, and they were going to take all of this, this weaponry 
from this armory and arm the slave, the first slaves that they freed and, you know, hoping. And, and they almost, they almost got away with it too. Where they, this is where they fucked up. So they, they, they took the armory pretty easily because it was only guarded by one person for some reason. And then, uh, a train, a train pulled up. So, okay, let me, let me start over. They took the army pretty easily. It was, it was, it was gathered by one, it was guarded by one person and they cut the telegram lines to keep people from calling for help, whatever. But a train pulled up and they, they got the train to stop. And, uh, well, they asked the train to stop. They asked the train to unload. They wouldn't and they shot and killed somebody. Ironically, the person they killed was a freed slave, a freed black man. And so I don't know what their reasoning was. Maybe he felt guilty about that or something. And they let the train keep on going. And then and that was the mistake. Uh, because then that train, you know, snitched. And they end up sending Marines down there. And you already know what happens when the Marines show up. They're going to whoop that ass. So they did. And uh, he was he was arrested. He was sentenced to hang for treason. Um, and uh, they sent somebody to break him out. He refused to go. He he could have broken out of jail, but he was too old at the time. I think he was like uh, fifty nine or sixty one or something like that. And he was he was just tired, and he and he was ready to be the martyr for the cause. And so he refused to get broken out of jail. And um, his wife came to visit him on, on his last night alive with, with, to eat his last meal with him. And they wouldn't let her stay the night. And that, that pissed him the fuck off. And that was the life of John Brown. I mean, he was all about putting putting his money where his mouth was. He wasn't just talking to talk. I mean, he was really on some, like, ready to... <laughs> uh, ready to... Ready to die shit. And um, they sang a song about him called, called John Brown's Body as like a like a marching song for the Union during the Civil War. Like that that's how big he was. I don't understand why he's not bigger now. But uh this is something I love. This is this is, you know, I, I'd like to pick out these moments. So this is a this is a white dude, abolitionist. During the, during the late 18, mid to late 1800s. But even John Brown, he had no, he did not suffer cowards. He had no love for the, for the house niggas, just like Harriet Tubman, who carried the, who carried the pistol for the, for the house niggas that wanted to run back to the, to the plantation. You know, like old boy in the Matrix that won his stake. You know, like ever, they'd rather be a, a comfortable slave than he had no, he had no else for them. He wished more niggas would rise up. This is what he said. N quote, nothing so charms the American people as personal bravery. They blacks would have 10 times the number of white friends than they know, than they now have, were they but half as much in earnest to secure their dearest rights 
as they are to ape the follies and extravagances of their white neighbors and, in, and to indulge in idle show in ease and in luxury. Fuck out of here. Can this nigga see the future? If you don't understand what that what he's saying right there is he said nothing at the time it's like Americans are are not charmed by anything more than they're charmed by bravery. So if if niggas put up half of the energy into fighting for their rights as they do with trying to emulate the luxuries that white men have, they'd have 10 times the people on their side. How is that shit still true today? Because that's what made, that's what made niggas comfortable. It's like, uh, because the luxuries make you, the because I could give you a taste of luxury and you feel like, oh, as long as I'm better than these other niggas, then I'm doing good. And you have, and you still don't have no actual rights. You still not, man. Yeah. So again, you know, I didn't, I didn't do a whole book report or nothing like that. But if you want to check out uh, John Brown, yeah, Googling dog, he's out there. Um, I think we need to talk about him more. He, he was all about that life. I heard about him from Paul Mooney, listening to. Um, some interview Paul Mooney did. I thought it was dope. Uh, so uh, that's gonna be the end of this episode, I think. Yeah. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, comments, you can email me at bs with Brian Simpson at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stayed alive and learned to rhyme. Turn the lines of heat of earth and turpentine. Nigga, wait. Burning time forever, earning minds. But it be certain times I'm laying low because for my demise, the fucking surface lies. Oh, goon got me. My Nefertiti look poor and jobby. Your rap ain't authentic, but I'll admit it is a cool copy. But I know niggas came here to hear me talk shit. Since the verse started, I ain't fucked the girl or bought shit. So, uh, coolie bitch with a French braid, expensive sneakers, dip the gold. Porno star, she can lick a load. I'ma slide my face like a nickel load. But it ain't green like piccolo. I be picking hoes and love picking clothes. Got a sip of can I live or won't you niggas die? I wasn't asking y'all. Fathom balls, and if you could, you see this nigga has the balls. Battle scars, I'm chilling now. You rent with my valley's cars. Your little bastards, y'all. Matter of fact, maggots, y'all. Maggots, y'all. Ah, uh, not that great.